Hello, welcome to another episode of Art School Albums. Today we are doing something a little different. I am doing solo audio for the first and probably only time in this show's existence is like knock on wood uh, because I'm currently sitting here in my Chicago hybrid dorm slash apartment and I'm facing my creative records and I'm here alone. The sun is belting in through my windows right now and as I sit here and I, I've been preparing for this already pretentious podcast, but something about doing this alone now with my headphones and my dumb little microphone and my dumb little opinions, this brings on a whole new level of pretentiousness. I feel an uncomfortable level of privilege. Even being here, even having this idea feels like I just gentrified three neighborhoods. There's a certain whiteness to the idea of sitting behind a microphone by myself and talking about what I thought the 10 best albums of the year were. But that's why we are here today. No guest as it is the holiday season and uh, God forbid I pry anyone away from their families to talk music with me. So we're going solo today. Should be a relatively quick episode, but I figured at the end of the year, uh, album of the year list seemed to be dropping every single day. Pitchfork, for whatever reason, decided to start dropping their year-end list in October, and now that discussion feels uh, void thanks to them. But luckily, uh, websites like Brooklyn Vegan and Stereogum are still rolling out content at the end of the year. And so why not have the official 10 art school albums of the year, full-length studio albums, no EPs, so Dog Legs uh, will not be included, although they did get Best New Music from Pitchfork earlier this year, and the live Thanks Sorry Jeff Rosenstock record, also not included in my top 10, although just like everything Jeff Rosenstock has put out this decade, that was a tremendous release, and I just had the conversation with someone recently we were talking about artists of the decade, and if there was someone that really left their impact in our circles, because you can, you know, go with the hack answer, or not the hack answer, but the easy answer of someone like Taylor Swift or someone like Kanye, because yes, they dominated the media cycle, they sold a ton of records, but when you're looking at things from artistry, and you're looking at it from an artist standpoint, someone that really left an impact this decade my mind immediately goes to Jeff Rosenstock starting the decade out in Bomb the Music Industry, wrapping that up, two great Bomb the Music Industry records this decade. And then when he starts to take his solo career seriously and he puts out that string of records, We Cool Worry Post, those are three of the best releases this decade. I mean, Worry, if it's not my album of the decade, it's certainly in my top three. Post and We Cool are not that far behind. And the more I've come to follow Jeff Rosenstock and know Jeff Rosenstock and pay attention to just every single thing he's doing, I really feel like we had a three to four year run there where we were watching an artist at the top of his craft. And I know I was there to appreciate it. And that's not even mentioning the Antarctica Vespucci records that he did, which there were two great ones there and a great EP. But I do wonder going into this decade who we're going to see take the reins, at least in the pop-punk-punk emo circles, because it feels like this was a decade of dominance for Jeff Rosenstock, where he was able to uh, sever ties from Bomb the Music Industry and then go air quotes commercial, although for Jeff Rosenstock, going commercial is still far more DIY than almost any other artist out there. And his solo career, I think anyone with a clue, anyone that doesn't have an agenda respected what he was able to do now that, as he said it himself, he's not dead and he's over 30 years old, so he has to make a living. And we saw him do that with three terrific studio albums. And then he put out this live album this year, which if I was doing live albums, if I was counting EPs, uh, Thanks Sorry would be in there and the Dog Leg EP would probably be in there as well, which I just feel like mentioning. But we're not. Those are the parameters I'm going with is 10 studio albums, the 10 best studio albums this year. These are art school albums approved. And we start with the Murder Burgers, What a Mess. Now, the Murder Burgers are a Scottish punk band. Uh, I became a huge fan of them uh, around the 2016-2017 time frame. They put out a record in 2016 called The 12 Habits of a Highly Defective People. 
and I'm a huge fan of that record. After that, they were certainly a band I was side-eyeing, somebody that I wanted new releases from, and it happened this year. It happened on March 15, 2019. They put out an album called What a Mess. In the States, it was released on Asian Man Records, and when Asian Man Records puts out an album, at the very least, I pay attention to it. They don't deliver a thousand percent. I'm not someone that is in love with everything Asian Man puts out, but Mike Park has my undying respect, and I at least give a listen to everything I can that Asian Man puts out. This record deals a lot with aging. It deals a lot with growing up and sort of the harder decisions you have to make, but the Murder Burgers did not lose their edge at all with this record. It reminded me of the Menzingers prior two releases. Uh, it's just, it's that time period. We're now seeing these bands that were 22, 23 bands that were ushered into the scene this decade. They are now getting older, and we hear that on the opening track with Turning 30 was an eye-opener. Uh, there's a number of great songs that kind of deal with those topics, the second side of the record especially, uh, the combo of You Deserve Better, Samantha, and I Remember Feeling Alive. Those are two great songs on the second half of the album. But my heart has been with track number three all year. We'll hear a little bit of this now. The 10th best record this year. This is The Art of Being a Sad Sack of Shit by the Murder Burgers. Best album this year. The award goes to Make Wars, Get It Together. And for as much as I love waxing poetically about music and I feel like I'm an all right wordsmith, I cannot top the description that this record has already written on its Bandcamp page, which says Make Wars, Get It Together is a multilingual, multi genre, multi grain slab of fury, tempered with anger, heartache, and a dash of Latinx hardcore rage. This record is a must-have, and I could not say that better myself. That's why I just read the passage from the Bandcamp page. Get It Together came out on November 1st of this year, one of the latest records, if not the latest record, in our top 10. Uh, I was hooked as soon as I heard the lead single, Oh Brother. This is a band I was not familiar with in their prior two releases. I believe an algorithm, perhaps Spotify's new punk tracks of the week, led me to this. But once I heard Oh Brother, uh, I began immediately anticipating the drop of this record. And luckily, the lead single matched the rest of the quality of the entire album. This is one that as soon as it came out in November, I was listening to from start to finish. Uh, basically from release date until now, it's still something that I am finding in a lot of my daily mixes. It's something I am constantly putting on because there's a lot going on in this record. There's there's some heavy stuff. There's some political tracks. Track number three, especially No Excuses, is an anti-police song that of course, raises some valid points. I think it's a song that more people need to hear because I really like the message of it. Uh, the opening track, Hopeless Dreamers, yes, it kind of sounds like a tired pop-punk, hardcore punk rock trope. Sonically, it ne doesn't necessarily do anything that different, but it is a good prelude into what we get with this album. Uh, but unlike The Art of Being a Sad Sack of Shit our tenth, uh, from our 10th best album this year, I gotta go with my favorite song off this is is Oh Brother. I think it's a bit of a pick-me-up song. It's something that is is once again about aging punks. It's about getting older. It's about looking at the world with a different perspective. And I'm all for that. I'm all for getting it together. I think that's something we can strive to do in the new year. And this is the ninth best album of the year. This is Oh Brother off of Make Wars, Get It Together.
Harmony Woods Make Yourself at Home clocks in at number eight on our record of the year list. Uh, this is certainly a change sonically uh, from what we've had with the 10 and 9, the Murder Burgers and Make War. Uh, it's definitely not as hard-hitting, not as raw, but emotionally it has the same intensity that the prior two records bring. Uh, Pitchfork luckily was kind enough to uh, stop themselves from reviewing Cardi B's discography to lend a review to this album. And Abby Jones, who I think did a great write-up for this album, uh, she gave it a 6.5, which I don't necessarily agree with. But in the review, she states, The 20-year-old singer, songwriter's clear vocals and candid lyrics feel at home in the Philadelphia DIY scene that raised her. And if you know me... You know that Philadelphia and DIY immediately make me interest in a, interested rather in a project. And it's hard to believe that we are now living in a post-emo revival wor world. The 2014 emo revival is a thing of the past. And the fact that we are now living in the post of that, the post-sonic, the post-music of it, is a sign that we are all getting old and that death is inevitable. But you see it in the review, you hear it in Harmony Woods' lyrics, you can hear the inspiration. She's someone that was going to modern baseball shows and growing up in the Philly scene, and that is so present. And it's crazy to me, someone not much younger than modern baseball that we're now directly hearing acts that were influenced by bands like that, bands like the Metzingers, bands like Tiger's Jaw, but then, you know, Harmony Woods is 20 years old, same age as me, and she's out here killing it with this record. Uh, my good friend Sean Sloan was the one that put me onto this. I missed out on the first Harmony Woods record, but was all aboard with this one. This came out on October 4th, and I immediately enjoyed it. There's a lot of things that I like in this record. Sonically, it's very interesting. The bass is really present on a lot of these songs. It feels almost like a live mix, like I would hear this bass at a show. It's There's not filters on it. It's present. I'm all for that. I'm all for getting that bass up there in the final mix, and I think that's especially present on Best Laid Plans. This is one of those records that is almost painfully consistent. It really works as an album more so than a collection of singles, which is, in my opinion, the goal, but the music industry tells me otherwise. But it was hard for me picking out a favorite song from this album because, again, it's just everything is so consistent. It doesn't really ebb and flow at all, but there's a cluster of tracks towards the end of the record with Burden, Misled, and Best Laid Plans 2 that I found particularly compelling. And of that cluster of tracks of that eclectic group, I think Burden is the one that stands out the most. So this is the eighth best album of the year, according to the Art School Albums podcast. This is Make Yourself at Home by Harmony Woods, and this is Burden. Pitchfork was kind enough to review our seventh best record of the year as well with a review by Ian Cohen, who just happens to be my favorite music writer on earth. I think Cohen does a terrific job. I think he's a terrific follow on Twitter. And Pitchfork and Cohen were gracious enough to give this album best new music with a score of 8.3. I think Oso Oso shines bright because they cast such a wide net. I feel like the Venn diagram of people from different scenes are going to enjoy this album a lot. There's a very large middle circle in that Venn diagram. It's emo for people who like emo. It's pop punk for people who like pop punk. It's punk for people who fixate on lyricism. It's pop music for people with good taste. It's all in all simply a very, very good album. Came out on August 16th under Triple Crown Records, which houses bands like Foxing and Free Throws sort of the indie pop conglomerate in the current scene. And I can't help but feel like if this album was made 15 years ago, it would have been a much bigger deal. And that's not to say that it sounds dated, because in reality, it's actually the opposite. Oso Oso is taking a lot of second and third wave emo influences with the, you know, Jimmy Worlds of the world, and they modernize it for a contemporary meme-influenced audience. 
Unfortunately, I just think this album falls victim to everyone existing in their own media bubble. Even in alternative radio, something like this lacks keyboards, synthesizers, a more electronic sound. It just doesn't get airplay. It arguably has too much of an edge, but in 10 songs in 35 minutes, Oso Oso was able to leave their mark on 2019 and stamps of approval have cascaded over this record since it's released. A lot of the praise seems to be going towards the self-titled track, Basking in the Glow, but to me, the seventh best album of the year, the best song on that album, has to be track six. This is a morning song on Oso Oso's Basking in the Glow. get to the heavy hitters on the list and I feel like this group especially from three to six we're all like really solid really hard to separate and unfortunately for the Menzingers their sophomore release on Epitaph Records Hello Exile falls to number six in the countdown uh, the Menzingers are on an incredible stretch they are on now the tail end of what has been a monstrous stretch of production obviously you have 2012's On the Impossible Past and 2014's Rented World, the latter of which I'm not super high on, uh, but in 2017, their debut on Epitaph, After the Party, I think it's a legitimate masterpiece. I think it's one of the best records this decade. And then their follow-up non-album singles in 2018, mainly with the song Toy Soldier, continued the hot streak for one of Philly's most coveted bands. The album came out on October 4th, but the debut single and the song that you'll hear in just a second, Anna, dropped on July 15th. And what was a relatively miserable summer for me, I think the thing that got me through most things was just the amount of absurdly great music that came out around that time period. And Anna was a song that as soon as I heard it, it found its way onto my playlist. And my gut tells me that it's going to be there for a long time. I think this is one of the best things that Men's and Girls have ever produced. And the subsequent pre-album singles, both America, You're Freaking Me Out and Strangers Forever, I think are both great Although I do recognize that, especially with America, You're Freaking Me Out, I think it marked a jumping-off point for a lot of longtime Menzingers fans. They had slowly been drifting into a more radio-friendly sound. I think you hear a little bit of that on After the Party, but by America, You're Freaking Me Out, they are full-blown into radio-friendly, big sound, catchy chorus, and it's not what the band started as, and I can see why if you were someone that was on board from the beginning why maybe this is not your cup of tea but i will say i saw them at concord music hall here in chicago in october and the new songs on the album the singles anna strangers forever and america you're freaking me out they got just of a good reaction as anything that night in america you're freaking me out in particular i think really works in a live setting it has that big repeatable catchy chorus and the band is aware of that. They're not idiots, and I think that's why it's on the album. I think it's a very fun song. Uh, the one thing I heard from people that didn't enjoy this, most of them because they were longtime fans of the band previously, was that they weren't into the production. And again, it's things like that. This album has a ton of reverb on it. It's a more poppy album. It's a far cry from what they were doing at the start of the decade. And again, I can see if you were a longtime fan why that might not interest you. But for me... I was all about it. It did not bother me at all. I think High School Friends, London Drugs, and the self-titled Hello Exile all make great album tracks, but it is the singles on Hello Exile that make the album the sixth best album of the year in my mind, and there is no greater single on this album than Anna by The Metzingers.
Number five on the countdown is Fury's Failed Entertainment. And when this record came out, it hit me like a ton of bricks. The Orange County Hardcore Band released this album, their second as a band, and their first on Run For Cover Records on May 3rd of this year. And they were a band I was unfamiliar with until this album came out. And I couldn't help but notice when they put it out, the whole reason I noticed it was because it came out on Run For Cover Records. And much like Asian Man Records, who I mentioned earlier on in the podcast, Run For Cover is a label who I try to listen to everything they put out. Because Run For Cover was, and quite honestly still is, a very important label to me. When I was first diving into the scene, Run For Cover quite honestly felt like the kings of the scene at the time. There was a point where they had modern baseball and pity sex and title fight and captain were sinking all under the same banner. And it felt like they had a small amount of power in the music industry because those bands were so hot for such a short period of time and it was great to see. But unfortunately, all of those bands I mentioned are no longer together. And as a result, the label took a bit of a hit. And while I think they have a strong collection of bands now between Varsity and Wicker Phase and Field Medic, part of the reason that Fury stuck out to me so much is because they sound like nothing else on the label right now. I mean, if this was 2015, they'd probably be touring with Captain Worth Sinking. They'd probably be touring with Modern Baseball. They are heavier than those bands, but they fit the general aesthetic. But Run For Cover has been drifting more and more towards like indie pop and lo-fi recordings. And a hardcore band like Fury completely came out of the woodworks to me and exploded onto the scene. And it was a pleasure to see. Failed Entertainment scored a 7.6 on Pitchfork and it landed at 80 on Brooklyn Vegan's Punk and Emo albums of the decade. Through 11 songs in 27 minutes, Fury provides unfiltered explosive punk music with big hooks, loud guitars, and explosive vocals. To me, this is essential listening. This is one of those records, if you are going to talk about music in 2019, you have to mention Fury's failed entertainment. I am still stunned at how good this album is, how there is nothing really in my mind that sounds quite like this, nothing quite as good as it. And that is why Failed Entertainment is number five on the Art School Albums Albums of the Year list. And this is Angels Berlin, the lead single off of Failed Entertainment. The fourth best album of the year is something drastically different from what we just heard. I don't know if there's a bigger leap sonically in two records back-to-back on a top ten than Fury's Failed Entertainment, which we just heard, and Julia Jacklin's Crushing, which is our number four. Julia Jacklin is someone who came into my life around October of this year, which is hard to believe because her record crushing came out on February 22nd, 2019, and it was something that I just missed. I was not aware of her. I did not hear her first album. I did not hear the record she put out with Fantastic Furniture last year. I heard Julia Jacklin through a paste studio session that just happened to pop up in my YouTube recommendations one day. The song was Don't Know How to Keep Loving You. And I was immediately entranced by her. I found her songwriting and the hyper-realistic nature of it to be fascinating. I found her voice to be so incredibly compelling. And I found her backing band to be just as interesting as her, really. It is a complete unit. It is Julia Jacqueline in name. But the band behind her adds so much to this album and to her live performances. And when I saw her in November at the Old Town School of Folk Music here in Chicago, first of all, it was an adventure getting there because I tried desperately. As soon as I heard her, I heard three songs from Julia Jacqueline. And I determined there that I needed to see her live as soon as possible. So, you know, I log on to the Google machine. I figure out that, hey, she's going to be in Chicago next month. I look for tickets, and tickets are impossible to find because the Old Town School of Folk Music is about a 400-seater. And Julia Jacqueline, 
I think has now proven she needs to be playing bigger venues because I could not find tickets for this show anywhere. This includes someone offering to sell me tickets on Facebook, which I bought from them, although those tickets did not exist and I am still down $30 from that transaction. And you might be saying, well, Case, can't you just claim a refund from PayPal? Well, no, I can't because I sent it as friends and family and not as an order of goods because I was so desperate for those tickets that I was willing to do that. It turned out I turned to r backslash Julia Jacqueline. I turned to the Julia Jacqueline Reddit and someone there was kind enough to sell me a real ticket to the event, and I saw her there, and every theory that I had about her, about how stunning her music is, about how gorgeous her voice is in person, they all turned out to be true. She is an incredible artist. I wish nothing but the best for her, and this record, Crushing, is exactly that. It is not the easiest of listens. It is hard to listen to at times because, like I said, it is painfully, painfully real. And I think you hear that on the opening track with Body. I think Good Guy is another one that digs deep. And even a song like Pressure to Party, which is very upbeat, a happier song in the Julia Jacqueline discography, it is still one of those songs that if you listen to it at just the wrong time, it will tear you apart. But no song does that better than Don't Know How to Keep Loving You, which was my introduction to Julia Jacqueline. I think it is one of the best songs of 2019. It is what makes Crushing the fourth best album of the year. And let's hear a little bit of that right now. So now we get into the top three, and I have a feeling my third album of the year I enjoyed perhaps more than anybody else because it's something that for whatever reason, I do not feel like the critical acclaim, or, or rather the album is lacking the critical acclaim that I think it deserves. Slaughter Beach Dogs, Safe and Also No Fear is my third best record of the year. It received a 6.4 from Pitchfork, which I found to be a little disappointing because Jake Ewald continues to grow as a songwriter and as a performer. He is someone who was the, one of the singers of Modern Baseball, a staple in the Philadelphia music scene, and I am just consistently blown away at how talented of a songwriter and how talented of a musician that Jake Ewald is. His 2017 release with Slaughter Beach Dog, Birdie, was one of my favorite records of that year, and he followed it up two years later with Safe and Also No Fear, which is a different sound, something that we had not really heard from Ewald in the past. We had heard hints of it, and it makes sense that he decided to go this way sonically given his influences, the Wilcos, and the alt-country scene of the world. But this was Ewald fully shedding whatever modern baseball skin he had left in the album, which came out on August 2nd of this year, is more folky, more country, more slowed down than anything he had done in the past. There are no hints of teenage angst in this record. This is an adult playing songs like an adult for adults, and it was something that I thoroughly enjoyed. I think these singles on this record, One Down, Good Ones, and Heart Attack, I think that is as strong of a lineup as any album that was put out this year. And when you look through this record, 10 songs, 38 minutes, there's so many good songs that I feel like for whatever reason just got swept by the wayside this year. Black Oak is a six-minute song, which as you know, Songs over five minutes, they tend to lose me, but Black Oak is one of those narrative-driven songs that Jakey Wald has seemingly perfected, and I'm a huge fan of that. One Day, track eight on the album, is another one that I really find beautiful. I think that is a song that is ultimately what Jake Ewald's legacy will be is songs like that where he can take a small moment in time and expand it into something great. 
but there is no greater song on Safe and Also No Fear than Tangerine, which is the sixth song on the album. As soon as I heard this, it became my favorite song by Slaughter Beach Dog. It was one of my most played songs of the year. It is one of those where if I heard this and I had any power or say in the recording industry, I would be getting Jake Ewald on the phone and I would be telling him to write songs for the next great pop artist because I truly believe at this point that he has proven himself as a singer-songwriter and it doesn't appear that Slaughter Beach Dog is going to break through into any sort of major mainstream success anytime soon. I truly do believe that modern baseball was on the cusp of becoming a giant must-pay-attention-to band and how you want to define giant is up for interpretation, but it felt like modern baseball had something really special that is just lacking in terms of an aura and a presence from Slaughter Beach Dog, although Slaughter Beach Dog has more than proved themselves to be a worthwhile follow-up to modern baseball. But Jake Ewald has a voice and has talent that I think desperately needs to be heard by more and more people. For whatever reason, most critics were not feeling safe and also no fear. But for me, it is my third best album of the year and Tangerine is one of the best songs I heard this entire year. Call her my tangerine, plastic stones glued to her cheeks, only says the words she means. Walking eight take the payless soccer shoes, hunts down smokes and Then there were two, and these two albums, these final two albums of the year, the two best pieces of music I heard all year, one came out in April, the other came out in July, and as soon as I heard these albums top to bottom, I knew they would be my one and two this year. There are some years, like 2016 and 2014, for instance, where the years are so loaded, and there is so much good stuff, and it seems like every month there is a new Album of the Year contender out there. 2019 is one of those years where there was a lot of really good stuff. Like I said, that three through six grouping was very hard for me to separate from one another. But there were two records this year that really stood out from the pack, with number two, my second best album of the year, being Canadian punk band's Pup. Their record, Morbid Stuff, which like I said, came out on April 15th of this year, is actually a record that has been in my life this entire calendar year because the lead single, Kids, dropped on January 15th. And as soon as I heard Kids, I was back on board completely with a band that I fell in love with after their 2016 record, The Dream Is Over. The Dream Is Over came out on Side One Dummy Records. That label seems to be collapsing by the second, so what does Pup do? Will they find a way to release it on their own through Little Dipper Records? And everything about this album is what I love about Pup. It is unrelenting. It is raw. It is intense. It is the exact sound that I wanted from a band who won my heart over in 2016. And 11 songs in 36 minutes, Morbid Stuff, is as engaging of a listen as anything I've heard this year. The singles, whether it be Kids, Free at Last, or Sibling Rivalry, are incredible. And the thing about Pup that makes them stand out from the rest of the punk, emo, pop-punk conglomerate is the fact that their choruses, their hooks, everything about pop is so catchy and so digestible. And I understand why the vocal mixing might not be for everybody because it really does feel like a lot is coming at you at once. 
But for me, I was able to understand the sound, understand the idea, understand the aesthetic as soon as I heard this band for the first time and I had been anxiously awaiting a follow-up to The Dream Is Over and morbid stuff delivered on my wildest expectations. The first sign of this record, you start off with a self-titled track. You go to Kids From There, then Free At Last, then a track called See You At Your Funeral. And that three-song grouping right there, Kids, Free At Last, and See You At Your Funeral, that enough would be good enough for my top 10. I really believe that because those are three of the best songs I've heard this year. And then you follow that up with Scorpion Hill, a five-minute scorcher of a song, the most adequate comparison I can give you is that it is this album, Sleep in the Heat, which if you heard The Dream Is Over, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is a big narrative song with an incredibly daring structure, and Scorpion Hill completely blew my mind the first time I heard it, and then you transition to the second side of the record, and you've got closure, you've got full-blown meltdown, bare hands, and this quiet, soft kind of song that strings along to close the album out, City. It is an album that every time I listen to it all the way through, I find myself wanting to listen to it again and again and again. It is an album that has been in my life from January of 2019 through December of 2019, and it is something that I will continue to play into the new year. This is Pop's Morbid Stuff, and this is Scorpion Hill off of the second best album of this year. So with Pup's Morbid Stuff at number two, we are left with our album of the year. And if you know me at all, if you follow me on any social media, this is an obvious choice for me. It is one that as soon as I heard it, I knew it was not only my album of the year, but I knew it was one of the most special pieces of music I had ever heard. And that is the self-titled Purple Mountains album written by David Berman. And David Berman, for those that don't know, was the singer of the band The Silver Jews, which lasted from roughly 1994 through early 2009. And The Silver Jews were a band I discovered probably around 2014, 2015. The folk punk band AJJ had done a cover of their song Candy Jail, and I heard that in an acoustic session on YouTube that is unfortunately no longer on YouTube. I can't find this anywhere, and I would love to go back and listen to that version of Candy Jail, uh, but I, I can't find it. But I heard that song, and AJJ is a band known for their insane song lyrics and the way they write. It's very unique to them. But hearing this cover, I realized I had never heard songwriting like that before. And although it's a silly kind of zany song, I was struck by it in a way where I just I knew I needed to hear more of that because I knew... If that was the tone the band was going for, the Silver Jews being that band, I knew I was going to like them. But as it turned out when I listened to them, which at the time, their music was not streaming as they are a part of the Drag City family. And for the longest time, Drag City abstained from streaming services. So I was listening to bad rips of YouTube audio. And I, you know, a big reason I got into record collecting was to buy Silver Jews albums. And when I heard them and I started digging into that discography, I was just blown away at David Berman and, and what he was capable of when it came to songwriting and his lyrics. And I was so haunted by his voice. And I just, I always, I always wanted more Silver Jews. They were a band that fascinated me. But. By the time I had discovered them, they had been broken up for at least five years at that point. And the more I read and the more I got to know about David Berman, I had come 
to grips with the idea that I had those six Silver Jews records, everything from Starlight Walker to Lookout Mountain, Lookout Sea, and I was okay with that. I thought that was the only piece of David Berman that I was going to have. I never anticipated or expected new music, even when a story broke a few years ago about the Silver Jews possibly reuniting and rehearsing new songs. I never bought into the idea that much. It's kind of like Neutral Milk Hotel, where it seems like every year we get a rumor about this band releasing new work, or maybe Jeff Mangum's been working on something, and I never buy into it that much, just because perhaps it's my fault that I buy into the mythological aspect of these frontmen, but I, I do. And so when it was announced at the very beginning of the year that David Berman had recorded a new album under the name Purple Mountains, and that it was going to be released... I was ecstatic, although I didn't entirely believe that it was coming because there was a real possibility in my mind that it could have been announced, there could have been press for it, and then it just would have never come out. And that would have broke my heart, but I, I would have accepted it because I still had those six Silver Jews albums and I still had the image of David Berman in my mind. But then sometime in May, it was announced that out of nowhere, he had a single out. All My Happiness is Gone. That song had come out in physical form only. You were encouraged to go to the record store and buy it and not sell it online. And I did that. I, I quite literally almost ran to the closest record store near me. And I grabbed the single. And it just so happened that that was the weekend. And that was the day, actually that I was moving back home for my sophomore year of college. My turntable had already been packed up, and I knew just with my schedule that I wasn't going to be able to get to that song for another day or two. And I had not experienced the waiting game with music in such a long time, maybe ever. I don't remember the last time I wanted to hear a song, and I couldn't. And that was a fun, albeit stressful, short little time period for me where I just wanted to hear All My Happiness Is Gone, but I was unable to, and I had no idea what the song was going to sound like. I had, I had no clue about the band that he was using behind him. All I knew was that David Berman was making music, and the idea of that made me so, so, so excited. And then I heard the single. I finally got home. I set everything up. I put all my happiness is gone on the record player. And I was floored. I could not believe that David Berman was back. And all my happiness was gone was arguably the best song of his entire career. And from there, he put out another two singles before the album came out on July 12th. Uh, Darkness and Cold and Margaritas at the Mall. And each one, I would just sit there and I, I was just blown away at the talent that one man could have. And, and I was so grateful that David Berman was making music again because I had long written off the idea that David Berman would be back in the public spotlight in any way, shape, or form. So on July 12th, the Purple Mountains album comes out. I wake up that morning. I know the record store closest to me opens at 10. I don't want to be a weirdo but I'm also desperate to get my hands on this album. So by 10.30, I'm in there. I rush straight to the section where the Purple Mountains album is. I grab that. While I was there, I also happened to grab Bell and Sebastian's If You're Feeling Sinister and I believe a Tiger's Jaw record as well. That was that was an expensive day. That was It was worth it, but it was an expensive day. And of course, I can't just have a, a, a nice, peaceful drive home. I, I had resisted streaming the album at all. I wanted the first time I heard it to be in a physical format just because that was more fun for me. There was no pretentiousness there. I wasn't worried about the sound quality or if a, if a Wave or MP3 sounded better than analog. That was just something that was fun for me that I wanted to experience. And of course, on the way home, I get into a car accident. A 16-year-old runs into the back of me as I pull over for an emergency vehicle speeding by, and I'm now stuck on the side of the road for about 90 minutes. We're both okay, but I'm clearly annoyed because all I want to do is go home and listen to this album, and of course I can't do that, so I finally am able to leave the scene. I go home, and well, what do you know? It's time for me to go to work, so I don't end up hearing the Purple Mountains album until late, late that night. And I sat down and listened to it, and I just have nothing but good things to say. 
I mean, every single song on this album tracks one through ten. I, I was just stunned at the beauty of it all because I had a real fear, even with all of those singles being so strong, that whatever Berman attempted to do here was not going to be able to rekindle the magic of the Silver Jews. And it's one of those times where I was so happy I was wrong. And I enjoyed the album so much, and it became something where the first week and a half it was out, I was listening to the album multiple times a day all the way through. I was just obsessed with this. And it just so happened that Berman was was going to go on an American tour, and I was going to drive up to St. Louis. It's about a six-hour drive from where I live in Indiana. And I was going to hang out with my, with my St. Louis crew that night, and we were going to go to the Purple Mountain show. And it was the one thing that I had circled on my calendar all summer. It was the one thing that I was really, really looking forward to. And unfortunately, on August 7th, uh, we got the news that David Berman had passed away, that he had taken his own life right before his tour was supposed to start. And uh, I have, I, I've said a lot about David Berman, but none of it has been of substance, really, because for whatever reason, when I try to sit down and write thoughts about David Berman, and I still have a very rambly, emotional Facebook post that I posted as soon as I found out he passed away because I felt like I needed to say something, but every time I try to uh, show any sort of tribute to David Berman and I sit down and write about it, I, I almost feel ridiculous because my writing will forever be subpar to what he was able to create, and I've really been affected by his death, and not in any sort of celebrity way, but in a very human way, what happened really disturbed me and really affected me, and I've had trouble vocalizing that and expressing that because I don't want people to think that I'm sad because a rock star died. I'm very sad because a human was taken away from us, and in the most devastating fashion, because it, 2019 felt like a year that was going to be David Berman's, that he was going to return to the scene, and I was going to say it returned to glory, but that's that's unfortunately not even true. He was going to get the glory that he so rightfully deserves, and he deserved in the Silver Jews, but for various reasons, it was never really there on a large scale. This Purple Mountains album felt like David Berman's triumph, and he was going to have a tour to follow, a UK tour in 2020, and it just felt like his time, and the fact that it was taken away from us by whatever means necessary, the fact is he's no longer here, and Purple Mountains is the last thing we have from him, it is, it is very tragic, and I am still, even all these months later, I'm very disturbed by it. I'm very bothered by it. It is something that I quite honestly I I think about almost daily, but I am not saddened by this album. It, it it bums me out when I read people saying that they haven't been able to listen to the Purple Mountains album since David Berman passed away because if anything I've listened to it more and more and more because it is a celebration of David Berman because David Berman was not a normal human. He had exquisite talents that just most people on earth do not have. And the more and more I listen to this record, the more I understand, or at least I am able to, in my own neurosis, I'm able to comprehend the genius behind all of it. There are so many lines and lyrics in this album that I'm so jealous of because, and I'm not a songwriter, but I just know in my own writing, I will never be able to match what Berman was able to do here. There's a line in the last song, Maybe I'm the Only One for Me, that is, to me, the perfect embodiment of what David Berman was because it's it's so sad, but it's really, it's so funny and it's so twisted. There's this gallows humor to it where he says, if no one's fond of fucking me, maybe no one's fucking fond of me. And on the surface... That is awful, and given the circumstances of what happened a month after this album came out, it is terrible. But I just, I just love it. I just love what Berman was able to do, and I choose to use this record not as a symbol of mourning for what could have been, 
but as a celebration for what we got. We were able to get another David Berman album in his lifetime, and I had come to grips with the idea way before that that it would never happen, and I'm so glad that it did. This is my album of the year. This is Purple Mountains, and this is All My Happiness Is Gone. Friends are warmer than gold when you're old. Keeping them is harder than you might suppose. Lately I tend to make strangers wherever I go. Some of them were once people I was happy to know. of the year according to the art school albums podcast has wrapped up i should shout out really quickly some other albums i enjoyed that just didn't make the cut but ceremony malbum queens of jeans and i know it's eye roll inducing but the morrissey cover album california sun those were all some albums that i really really enjoyed this year if you made it this far i appreciate you for listening and as always you can follow the podcast at Art School Albums on Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow me at underscore Caselow, C-A-S-E-L-O-W-E, on those platforms as well. Until next time, I thank you for listening, and these have been the 10 best albums of 2019.